Right, our reading this morning, folks, is from Acts 17, verses 16 to 34, and reading from the New International Version. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babble trying to say? Others remarked, he seemed to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious, for I have walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far away from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Demarius, and a number of others. Great. Okay, so if you've been around church... Over the last few months, you'll know that we've been doing this, looking at this thing called moving forward. We've had uh, church meetings about it. We've had questionnaires. And if you go into the lounge, you'll see some of the the results of the this thing that we've been doing, thinking about, you know, how we move 
forward as a church. And we were, we were asking three questions, weren't we? We were asking, you know, what do we do well? Uh, what could we do better? Whenever, whenever I see that, could do better, it always reminds me of school because most of my teachers wrote that on, on anything I did, uh, could do better. But there we go. Um, and, uh, and then we thought about things that we don't do. And uh, thinking about the things that we don't do, uh, I want to kind of, and in that kind of uh, survey and uh, church meetings that we've had, when we thought about the things that we don't do, uh, people put things like reaching out to people with the gospel, uh, people put things like uh, reaching the missing age group, 19 to 34, and uh, people put evangelism in, in things that we don't do, which is which is strange, really, because you think uh, if the church did anything, maybe it ought to be doing uh, some of these things. And thinking about that, uh, I wanted to say that uh, this morning that evangelism is not a dirty word. And uh, I thought it would be good to be thinking about uh, making evangelism good news again. And we're looking at this passage in Acts uh, 17, and thinking about how we go about sharing Christ in what is more, most predominantly now a Christless culture. So we're thinking about how we share Christ in a Christless culture. Looking at this passage in, in Acts 17 when Paul finds himself, uh, himself in Athens. Um, I don't know whether you've, uh, you've noticed and, and this is, I'm going to start with some bad news and then hopefully move on to some good news. Uh, but the church is in decline. Did you know that? I'm not just talking about Lund Baptist Church. I'm talking about the church in, in general. Uh, certainly in this country. Uh, we hear wonderful stories of things happening in China and in Africa and in India and other countries where, where the church is definitely growing. Uh, but the reality, folks, the church in, in certainly in, in, in this country is in decline. And for some people, that's, that's news. People don't realize it because, uh, what we're very good at in church is, is kind of, uh, you know, um, messing around with figures to make things sometimes look better than they actually are. And of course, we want to present a, a positive news. And, uh, and so we want, we, we, we want to present a, an idea that, that things are perhaps sometimes more positive than they actually are. But the church is in decline in lots of places. You only need to look around this morning to know that. And, uh, in these last few weeks, I've, I've, I've been in at least two other churches, and uh, we're not alone, folks, in, 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 this, in, the, in the fact that on Sunday morning, predominantly, people are no longer in church. Uh, they're finding other things to do on a Sunday morning. Uh, Mark Mitterberg says this, The irony is that while many of us in churches and denominations have a rich heritage and strong reputation for evangelism, in many cases, precious little is actually happening. Let's be honest. In most ministries, very few lost people are being reached for Christ. And uh, this is an American guy uh, writing about this church situation in America. And this isn't a, a particular recent book. And so this idea uh, that the church in, is, is in decline, is, it, it's not a recent thing. This has been going on for, for quite some time. Of course, Jesus gave this great commission to go and make disciples. And somebody's written this, what was given as the Great Commission has turned into what some have labelled the Great Omission. The fact that we can carry on doing church without really thinking about reaching out. We can do lots of, you know, we can put on lots of events and do lots of things and it's great. 
and lots of good things are happening in church. But the reality is um, we have uh, failed in some respects to reach lost people for Christ. So sharing Christ in a Christless culture. Can we learn anything from Paul's visit to Athens where he goes into this secular culture or this culture where they're worshipping other other idols, other things that God... Can we learn anything from what Paul does in Athens that can actually help us uh, as we try to reach out to people in Rosendale? And I've got uh, three questions really that I want to... Uh, look at this morning. And first of all, I want to say, what was Paul's motivation in Athens? What was Paul's motivation in Athens for sharing the gospel? This is not a rhetorical question, folks. So what was Paul's motivation? What do you reckon? They were worshipping false gods and he was putting them right. Exactly, yeah. Paul, uh, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed. He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So it distressed Paul when he saw people worshipping other things than the one and true God. Let's be honest here, folks. I'm guessing, and it might just be me, You might be completely different, uh, but when I go out and about and uh, and, uh, I see people who are are not worshipping the one and true God, am I really distressed? Or do I just accept it as this is the society that we live in, this is how things are, I wonder. Are we really distressed? does Does it tug at our heartstrings? Are we, does it upset us? Does it concern us that the vast majority of people in our society no longer have any interest in worshipping the one and true God? It's a challenge, isn't it? Because this is the society that we live in. And we read that, that this was Paul's motivation, that he was distressed as he saw all those people who were getting it wrong. They were worshipping things that didn't deserve the worship that the people were giving I don't know if you have visited, anybody visited this place recently? I've not been here for ages, but I had the, uh, I was going to say the unfortunate, no, it's, I don't mind shopping, but I, I went to the Trafford Centre. It's quite an interesting place actually, isn't it, Trafford Centre? It's an amazing structure, isn't it? It's kind of a, a cathedral to materialism. And it's kind of got these objects that you might see in Athens as these huge uh, kind of statues and, and, and all sorts of things and marble and it's quite an impressive building and uh, for some people um, this is their idol today isn't it uh, getting as many things Stephen very helpfully you know made us think about what what are some of the idols today and, and certainly uh, the the pursuit of, of materialistic things is certainly an idol to, to many people uh, that's what and if you went to the Trafford Centre today I would hazard a guess that there will be more people there than there are probably in all the churches in, in Rosendale put together. And there's a lot of churches in Rosendale. But I suspect there'll be more people at the Cathedral of Materialism in, in the Trafford Centre than there will be in the churches in Rosendale and maybe even further. There's nothing wrong, as, as Steve said. The, 
the, the clever things, if you like, about the idols today, there's nothing wrong in them themselves. We could say there's something wrong in worshipping a golden calf or a, or a statue and bowing down before. We could say that's wrong. There's nothing wrong with going to the shops. Uh, but it can become and take the place of worshipping God. So, what was Paul's motivation in Athens? Paul was motivated by a concern for people for, for their spiritual uh, well-being, for the fact that they were worshipping things that didn't deserve worshipping. And so what is our motivation for sharing Christ? What motivates us? Are we even motivated to share Christ? Uh, this, is a, this is a rhetorical question, so don't worry, I'm not going to put you on the spot here. But if I was to ask, you know, uh, when was the last time that you shared Christ with somebody... Um, I'm, I'm guessing, and I'm, I'm, I might be wrong, and I might be doing a great disservice, but I'm, I'm guessing that many of us would be struggling to come up with an instance in the last week or last month where we actually shared Christ with somebody that didn't know Christ. I'd be delighted if people queue up afterwards to tell me that I'm completely wrong and that you've shared Christ with, with lots of people. I'm just guessing, I'm just guessing. What is our motivation? Uh, Bill Hybels, in his very helpful book, just walked across the room and says this, I really believe the saving message of Jesus Christ. I don't just preach it. I honestly believe that every wayward person I know would live a vastly better life in God's love, grace and redemption, were, if, if God's love, grace and redemption were operating in their lives. Do you believe this too? And of course, Bill Hybels is saying, uh, maybe part of our motivation would be that if we actually really believe that the gospel transforms lives and makes a difference, if it's made a difference in our lives and we can see the difference that it's made in other people's lives, then maybe we will be more motivated to share it. Certainly one of the things that drew me to Christianity in the first place was I, I could recognise that the Christians I knew had something that I didn't have. I didn't know what it was, but I wanted it. They had something that made them able to cope better in life, that they seemed to have a, a joy uh, that I didn't have. And there was something appealing in the Christians that I met and, uh, and, and uh, interacted with. So what was Paul's motivation in Athens? That's the first thing that we're thinking about. Uh, the second thing I'd like to think about is, what was Paul's method in Athens for sharing Christ? And can we learn anything from it? How did they go about it? Because... Um, not only uh, do we not do evangelism, if we're honest, you know, there's two groups of people that don't like evangelism, isn't there? Uh, there's people out there that are going to be evangelised. They don't like the idea of being evangelised. But if we're honest, uh, neither do people in church like evangelism. Uh, we, we don't really like we don't really like doing. If I was to say, let's meet under the clock, if for those people that want to go out and do evangelism this week in 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 Lum and, and around, um, I'm guessing. Um, there might not be many people joining me under the clock. So what was Paul's method? What was Paul's method? Well, we read that he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. So Paul's method, first of all, he went to the synagogue. He went to those people who would be sympathetic uh, to uh, the, the sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ, who knew about God. They might not have known and accepted Jesus Christ, but they had a belief in God. And then he went out into the marketplace. I guess we do the synagogue thing better than we do the marketplace. Uh, we do talk about Jesus within our 
place of worship. We're, we're comfortable in, in one respect inside talking about Jesus. We do house groups. We do Bible studies. We do cafe church. We talk about Jesus in the place of worship. I guess what we're not as good at is going out into the marketplace and sharing our faith with other people. What was Paul's method? He understood who he was talking to. He knew his audience. He understood who he was talking to and he knew his audience. Sometimes in church we're asking questions that nobody out there is interested in the answers to anyway. We need to know uh, where people are if we want to be able to communicate with them. Uh, Our good friend Rick Warren says, I believe the most effective evangelistic strategy is to first try to reach those with whom you already have something in common. Whatever type of people you already have in your congregation is the same type of people you are likely to attract more of. This may discourage some pastors. (laughs) But it's the reality, isn't it? We are the people that have been attracted by the gospel and are in church. And if we think that we're going to be able to to reach and communicate the gospel to a a completely different segment of our uh, population, i.e., you know, that missing generation that, that, believe you me, every church is wondering how do we reach this group of people. And uh, again, I, I don't want to be pessimistic, but most churches, ours included, are not best set up, you know, to reach that missing gap, the kind of 18s to, to 30 whatever. Uh, because, you know, we do church in, in a way that's probably not going to be, a, and that's just practical things like the kind of, you know, the, the worship. I've, I've been to a, a, a youth church. I've, I've been to a youth church, a big youth church in Manchester, audacious. I've been to one of their services and maybe I'm just getting old, but I, I wouldn't want to go there every week. You know, it, it's dark and, and kind of smoky and, and, and loud and, and I, I can't tell what they're singing at the front and I can't join in and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't choose to go there. And of course we do live in this kind of pick and mix society and the reality is people do choose. You know, people do uh, look where, where they're going to, where their needs are going to be met. And if we think that what we're doing on a Sunday morning is going to attract a, a younger generation, then we probably need to think again. But we can attract people like ourselves. It's not all bad news. A group of Eucropian uh, and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? People have said that about me as well uh, when I've been preaching. What is this babbler trying to say? He seems to be advocating foreign gods. You see, what Paul's method was, is he listened to their questions and he entered into dialogue with them. Sometimes the mistake people make when they, when they do get out and do evangelism is that they're going to talk to people about Christ and they're not really interested in interacting. I've got a friend uh, who goes out into to Manchester every week and faithfully preaches the gospel in Piccadilly Gardens. He's invited me to go with him and, and preach in Piccadilly Gardens and so far I have politely declined. Uh, but I'm interested to read his emails. He sent me his emails and gives a very detailed report of uh, the results of his preaching the gospel in Manchester. And uh, you can imagine uh, the kind of response that, that, that he gets. An, an, an odd heckler, uh, an odd Christian that stands and, and, and listens to him for a while and smiles and says, God bless you for what you're doing, mate, and kind of thing. But the reality is not great results. Um, what Paul does is he listens to people and he enters into dialogue with them rather than just preaching at them. For a long time, the church, from quite a strong and stable position, has preached at people 
Paul seems to enter into dialogue, listen to them, and then debate with them rather than just preaching at them. May we know what this new teaching is, they say. Is that, is, is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they mean. In the course of this dialogue, Paul actually gets to a position where they're asking him to tell him more, which is always a better thing when sharing the gospel with people, is if people actually are asking you to tell you, you know, well, tell me about this God. What, what, what's so great about God? If people give you an invitation, uh, they're probably more likely to listen rather than us kind of forcing uh, the gospel upon them. So what was Paul's method in Athens? Uh, we see that he, he listened to people, he entered into to, to debate with them. Uh, and of course the question is, what is our method for sharing Christ? How do we go about it? What do we do? Um, what is our approach uh, as we try and reach people with, uh, with the good news of Jesus Christ? We do have meetings and, and we do discuss it. And in fact, we're having a deacon's away day, not very uh, far away, when we're going to be again looking at this whole idea of how we uh, move forward and how we can uh, reach people with the gospel. Of course, um, some of you will remember this, uh, this circle that we've, uh, we, we've, we've brought from time to time where, uh, you know, one method is, is, is recognizing that there's people out there that we fit in the community that we want to, to try and get into the, the church, which I'm calling the crowd. Uh, and then there's the, the crowd, and that's, of course, the people on the edge of the church that we want to bring into the congregation and committed. And we want to move people through these circles. And I don't think that's a bad method, recognizing that people are in different places. You know, some people are outside the church, some people are on the edge of the church, some people are in the congregation, some people are in the core. And, that is, I think, quite a good method of trying to, to recognise where people are and help them move forward, move through the, through the different circles. What was Paul's method in, in Athens? And then finally, what was Paul's message in Athens? What was Paul's message? I see that in every way you are very religious. That's interesting, isn't it? To start with, I see that in every way you are very religious. I'd say that the society we live in is, is not very religious, I've just, uh, in the last two weeks, I've, I've done uh, four funerals in the last two weeks, which is, is quite unusual for, for a Baptist minister. Uh, but very often, when I go in to do a funeral, and all these funerals were people that had no connection, really, with church. And very often, one of the first things that people say to me when I walk in to do the funeral visit, to, to arrange the funeral, is, is so-and-so wasn't very religious. That's a, a, a remark I hear again, and I heard it in two of the visits that I went on in these four. The opening gambit was so-and-so is not very religious. And you think, well, that's interesting, isn't it? You know, you've asked a, a religious person to come and take your funeral service. Uh, you want the funeral service to take place in a religious building, uh, but you're saying that you're not very religious. It's just interesting, isn't it, that people do not see themselves as having anything to do with religion. It's almost like it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's something that they have nothing to do with. But Paul... He could see that they were very religious. They had all these religious things around them and they liked to talk about religion. Uh, I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. If we go back to the traffic, let me take you back to the traffic centre if you can bear it just for a moment. Um, you know, I wonder, would we, would we go around the Trafford Centre? And if you've been in a Trafford Centre and you've ever uh, been in the... Do, do you know, are you familiar with a Trafford Centre? It's got a, a huge food court. And do you know where the... Some of you will know where the toilets are in the food... I'm sorry to get a bit kind of really kind of gritty, but you know where the toilets are in the food court? 
Yeah. Have you ever looked up at the ceiling as you as you may be waiting for someone to come out of the toilets? Because if you looked up in the ceiling in the food court, uh, you'd see a picture a little bit like this on the ceiling with these four guys looking in. And to my mind, this is a reference to, of course, a story in Mark chapter two when uh, four friends took took uh, their friend to Jesus. Well, if you're in a traffic centre waiting for someone to come out of the toilet, can you imagine if I said to somebody, hey, have you seen this picture on the ceiling? Do you want me to tell you the story of this picture? Um, I probably wouldn't do it. Uh, because they'd probably look at me as if I was absolutely crazy and kind of uh, move move away. I'm not sure that we can apply exactly the same methods as Paul. Uh, and of course, you know, uh, happy Halloween. Uh, have you noticed Halloween's coming? Well, if you've been in a supermarket or a pound shop, you can't miss it, can you? Because uh, they, they, they've got whole aisles now dedicated to Halloween. And uh, I could go into Asda and, and I could say to to, to somebody, until I, I can see that your basket or your, your trolley is full of Halloween things. Uh, can I tell you about the, the kind of meaning be, behind all, the traditional meaning behind all Hallow's Eve? They'd probably kind of... Uh, call for security, wouldn't they, and say, <laughs> can you remove this strange person away from me? You probably wouldn't do that, but we can. I think the point I'm trying to get to is is that we can look at our society and see what they're doing. Uh, maybe not what they're, they probably wouldn't describe it as worship, but what they're engaging with. And maybe this uh, is a starting point, because Paul starts where they are with this idol to them, to the unknown God. And, of course, you know, as, as Jennifer's pointed out, we're doing this, uh, you know, pumpkin thing on Halloween. Uh, because we recognise that we live in a society where Halloween's becoming a bigger and bigger festival. And we have got something to say about it. And we can talk to people and bring God into these things. In a similar way that Paul does when he talks about uh, this idol to the unknown God. And he says, now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. And let's face it, you know, one thing that we do have in common with, with Paul and his visit to Athens is people didn't know God. And we live in a society where people don't know God. Uh, on Friday, I, I went to, uh, uh, you know, they say there's no such thing as a free lunch. It's not true. On Friday, I got a free lunch. Uh, thanks to Keswick Ministries, they invited the ministers to a free lunch at the Mittenfold. Mm, you're impressed, aren't you? And I, I, I must admit, I was a bit sceptical. I was talking to some of the other ministers about what sort of food, but we got a, a roast beef lunch. It was very nice. Uh, but I, I walked into the Mittenfold, and I went with Glenn, good friend from Edgeside Baptist that we're sharing ministry with. And I walked in, and of course, somebody came up to me and said, Oh, hello, Richard. Lovely to meet you. And I'm thinking, I recognize the face, but I haven't a clue who you are. And I'm saying, you know, uh, this is Glenn from Edgeside, and, and, and this is, and I'm hoping that he's going to finish my sentence off because I've no idea who, who it is. Have you ever been in that situation? You know, you can't introduce somebody to somebody that you don't know. You can't do that. And if we don't know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, how can we introduce other people to him? If we don't really know God and we don't know Jesus and we don't know the power of the Holy Spirit, we can't introduce other people to the God that we don't know. So, uh, you know, we, we need to know God and we need to be sure in our knowledge of God so that we can say to people, I can, uh, like Paul, what you worship is something unknown, I'm going, I'm going to proclaim to you as known. Paul took the un off the unknown God in Athens and he made God known to them. He told them about God and the reason Paul could tell them about God was because he had personally met 
with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and his life had been transformed and changed. And so he could preach about Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection because he knew about it. It had affected his life. Introducing the noble God. You know, we can tell people that God can actually be noble. You can get to know God. Most people think that that's almost an impossibility, but we can introduce them even to the idea that God is noble through his son, Jesus Christ. What was Paul's message in Athens? One God, one truth, one hope, one message. The message doesn't change. The methods and the way we go about it might change, but the message doesn't change. The message that we've got is exactly the same message that Paul preached in Athens about the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the way that we present it and the methods that we use to present it have to fit into our society if we're actually going to reach people with the truth. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. Others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And as Paul left the council, a few men became followers of Paul and believed. I actually like this response because I think we can probably... We, we can identify with this response more easily than we can probably identify to the response to Peter's preaching after the uh, event of Pentecost when, you know, 3,000 people responded. Uh, you know, a few people sneered. You know, people are going to sneer and laugh at the message if we try and share. Some people say, well, you know, maybe I would like to hear. And a few people responded and followed and believed. And I think that's where we probably are. You know, sometimes we you hear people talking. You know, people have always, ever since I've been in Rosendale, there's been somebody who's telling me that revival's just around the corner, Richard. And uh, I'm not sure that it is, actually. And, but if you say that, of course, you know, people are going to think, oh, you... They look at it as if you're... And, and you're a Christian minister, and you're saying that revival's not around the corner. What sort of minister are you? You know what I mean? Well, I'm just being honest and realistic. realistic. The way I look at society, I'm not sure that we revival's just around the corner. Uh, again, take me up on that afterwards. But a few people became, as a, as a response to Paul preaching, a few people did respond. And uh, if we can get a few people to respond, then we do, we, we're on a good, one to a good thing. If we can get a few people to respond. Many will reject the gospel, nevertheless... Some will believe. Many will choose to reject the gospel. And we just have to accept that. Our, our role is to present the gospel, not to try and force people. Uh, but we present it and we accept that some people will reject it, some people will sneer. Uh, but some will receive it and believe. So what was Paul's message in Athens? And what is our message when sharing Christ? What is our message? Uh, and how do we do it? How do we do it? How do we do it? Well, God has a story. We need to learn to tell it well. You know, we need to familiarize ourselves with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to know God's story and be able to tell it in a way that people can understand and respond to. We need to be able to tell God's story well. We need to practice, we need to practice doing that. You know, practice telling God's story as if you were talking to a non-believer and then ask for feedback. Uh, we also have a story. We have a story of, of how we came to know Jesus and we need to learn to tell that story well. Uh, and some people do and some people don't. But we have a story to tell. Paul says, in God we live, move and exist. And, you know, he also says in Philippians 2, you know, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, of Christ Jesus. You know, we need to become more Christ-like in our evangelism, in our reaching out to people. 
In John, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. We are to go in the same way that Jesus went and do the things that Jesus did. Um, Again, Bill Heibel says, the single greatest gift Christ followers can give to the people around them is an introduction to the God who created them, who loves them and who has a purpose for their lives. This is what evangelism is, constantly watching for ways to give that gift to someone living far from God. And we all know people who are living far from God. And Paul says that we can come near, people can actually come nearer to God. And uh, we know we know that for ourselves. So we need to become more Christ-like in our evangelism. We need to love people in the same way that Jesus loved people, in the same way that Paul was motivated. It was his love for people that motivated him to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to talk like Jesus talked. You know, sometimes uh, people in church are just plain rude. You know, I, I've been to churches, uh, obviously not this one, but I've been to churches where, where people are just rude in, in, in the way that they talk to visitors. They don't, they don't welcome them. Um, they perhaps a little bit can be a little bit judgmental. Uh, Stephen's also already referred to, you know, the, the way people dress. We can, people, sometimes people can just be plain rude when talking to, to people. Um, Sharing Christ in a crisis culture, how do we do it? We become more like Christ. Because if we really want to win people, it will be Jesus and his Holy Spirit that converts people. It won't be us. And the more Christ-like you and I become, the more likely people are to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So hopefully that's given us something to think about. You know, Paul's motivation was his love for people and his distress at seeing people that weren't worshipping God. His method was that he listened to people and that he, he tried to engage people with things that they were already interested in. And of course his message was the, was the timeless message of the fact that Jesus lived, died and rose again. Let's not only think about that, let's not only talk about it, but let's also do it.